We'll be reading Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which, he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Last week, uh, Justin Ebert got to share with us, and he said that Brother Drew Henderson would be preaching next week, and so that is my new title, apparently, and that is the title that I demand, Brother Drew Henderson. And so uh, we'll call Justin Brother Justin all of the time. But um, wow, what a great morning as we talk about the calling and sending of the church and what that means for us. What does it look like for the church to be called and sent? Well, it looks a lot like what we've just done. And bringing up of people, affirm them as members, and affirm their convictions and who Jesus is, that they want to be a part of our church. It looks like baby dedication, honoring families that want to honor the Lord uh, by raising their children to, to know him. But uh, the last several months, I, I remember the last time I joined you from over there, and now I'm joining you and seeing you from this corner, which is always just a little bit strange. Um, but we are looking um, at the book of Acts. The rest of the book of Acts today, Justin looked at Acts chapter 1 through 3 last Sunday, and today I'm going to attempt to look at Acts chapter 4 through 28. So there you go, um, 24 chapters. If you walk away thinking, man, it seems like Drew just talked generally about a lot of themes and read some random verses from the book of Acts, I've clearly accomplished my goal because that's what you have to do when you have 24 chapters. But this morning, we're going to see um, God's story and purpose of the church as it continues to unfold throughout the rest of this book. And as you read through Acts chapter 4 through 20, 28, I think that you can see that the church provides for what I would say are, are two of our main needs that all of us have as human beings. One, we need others. And then two, we need a mission outside of ourselves. Like we weren't just meant to live for ourselves. And I know that that sounds somewhat self-centered. Like, Drew, I know that the church is, like, the church is the key in Acts. That's the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is doing in and through the church. It's not so much about the person. But when we do look at those two human needs, one, our need for others, and two, our need for a mission outside of ourselves, we see that both of those just continually are brought up as we look at the rest of the book of Acts, our need for others and our need 
for a mission. So when we talk about those two ideas, the story and the purpose of the church as we see it unfold in the rest of the book of Acts, Drew, what do you really mean? What is the story and the purpose of the church? If we just had to summarize that in one sentence through the rest of the book of Acts, here is how I would summarize it. The story and the purpose of the church is God calling together his people and then God sending them out on mission. So that's what God does in Acts. He calls together supernaturally this group of people called the church, that's the ecclesia, the assembly of the disciples, this called out, this gathered together group. And this assembly of the church has been distinctly and uniquely different throughout history, really more than any other group. And it's different than, than these groups in a couple different ways. Uh, one of the ways that it's different is that the church keeps Jesus at the center of its community, not, not just the people. And what Luke is trying to get us to understand from the very beginning of the book of Acts, as Luke is writing here, is that this was a part of the plan of God for all eternity. And we see this in the very opening chapters, Acts chapter 2, verse 17. Peter is preaching, and as he's preaching, the Holy Spirit is empowering him, and the, the church is now coming into existence. And Peter says, look, it was the coming of the Spirit. That was actually part of God's plan. It wasn't an accident, and he goes back to the book of Joel and quotes that there would be a time, in Joel 2.28, Peter says, when God would pour out his spirit on all humanity. And Peter says that it was through Jesus, and the death of Jesus, and the worship of this crucified Christ, that is what would be a part of, be the center of that community. And that wasn't an accident. That was God's plan. Peter says that it was Jesus who was delivered up according to God's determined plan and his foreknowledge. Acts chapter 2, verse 31, David looks back. If you go back to, or Peter looks back to David. If you go back to, oh, three, four, five weeks ago, we talked about King David. In the Old Testament, it was, it was David that looked forward to this time and seeing what was to come. In chapter 2, verse 31, he says, seeing what was to come. He spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. And it wasn't just David. It was actually all of the prophets. Acts chapter 3, verse 18, Peter says that it was through those events that God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets. He goes to Acts, go to Acts chapter 3, verse 24, and Peter continues, all the prophets that have spoken have foretold these last days. And so while the church comes into existence, the, the bringing into existence this unique community where Jesus is at the center, that is nothing short of miraculous, nothing short of divine, nothing short of God fulfilling his plan. And while the church might indeed meet some of our relational needs that we have as human beings, the church is far more than just God's solution to our loneliness. Like we have to understand that about the church. And I think where the modern day church, it points has failed is that we've made the church simply just into another sort of relational network, another group of people, another group of friends, like any other group. And I see many Christians trading in biblical community for other relational groups, other activities, acting like it's the same thing, when it, it never was that. They're, they're just not the same thing. I have my bike riding group, we meet together weekly, we encourage one another, that we love each other, we, we encourage one another. This is my golfing group. We've been together since high school, and man, we just know each other really, really well. And these are my friends, and we're really, really tight. This is my tailgating group. We've been together since college. Woo! We, we get together every Saturday in the fall, and we talk about old times, and we catch up. That's my fitness group. 
They hold me accountable, help me meet my goals. These are all the parents on the traveling team. We all travel around all these different places every weekend and we're together and our kids have the same goals and we all know each other and we're just like, we're just like a family. Listen, I love those groups. I'm a part of some of those groups. I, I would say that God has even called us to be in those groups for a specific purpose, a specific reason. I would say invest in those groups, pray for those groups, most of all bring a gospel presence to those groups. But just because they are a group does not mean that they're the church. That Luke continually shows us in Acts chapter 4 verses, or Acts chapters 4 through 28. Uh, there's a, an article that was written, it'll be on the screen here, an article that was written this summer by a woman by the name of Jessica Grossi, and she's a columnist for the New York Times, and she did some research to try to see, like, really what was in, in common between just normal groups of people and in, in faith communities, and she went out and researched some of these different people in our country and even worldwide that considered themselves to be religiously unaffiliated, and they're just non-religious. And what she tried to do was really see what kind of difference they were experiencing in groups and what happened to them when they were trying to have a divine experience apart from just, just an embodied faith community like a church. And she went out and she talked to a lot of these non-religious people. She interviewed sociologists. She interviewed psychologists. And this is what she found. She found that there was a profound difference. She said, I asked every sociologist that I interviewed whether communities created around secular activities outside of houses of worship could give the same level of wraparound support that churches can give. And this is what she found. She found that the answer was no. Just a normal group of people. It's, it's not the same as the church. And, and we look at all of these families that we had up on stage earlier in baby dedication, and we, like, I look at those families and I think, wow, I am glad that is not me right now. It's been a long time and all of these kids are crying, and, but what a joy. What a joy it was to see that. And I think about all of the needs, all of the relational needs that these, these young children will have, what their families will need, all of the outside influences that they will need to speak into their lives. I think what they need most is a church that's focused on Jesus, that's focused on the worship of Jesus. That is what they need most, not just each other, not just relationships in general, not just people that will kind of help them become self-actualized and meet their own goals for their life. They need the church, and the church is uniquely positioned to do that more than anyone else. Even Jessica Grossi, she would consider herself to be a person of no faith. Even she realizes that the church has a very, very unique role. You might be thinking, okay, Drew, of course, this is what you're supposed to say. You're a pastor. I get it. You want to lift up the role of the church. You want to talk about how the church is unique. You want to talk about how it's different than any other group of people. Come on. I've been in relationships with people. I've been in relationships with people inside the church. I've been in relationships with people outside the church. And you know what? They're basically just all the same. I mean, come on. We have so many Christian people that just act like the world. And, and I would have to say, is that true? Well, in some ways, yes, that is true. 
If you look through the book of Acts, though, what helps me understand that the message of the church is, is real and true and that the Bible is true and Luke does not portray some sort of fake, sort of idealized version of the church, just read the book of Acts. Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter, you want to talk about scandal, committing money to the Lord and then holding it back. You want to talk about relational breakdown, just go one chapter further, Acts chapter 6, verse 2. You have two groups of people, two groups of Jews whose widows, we have one group of widows that are being served, and then you have one other group of widows that are not being served, and those that are not being served, there's this relational breakdown that happens. And if you look at verse 2, the word that is used there is that one group had a complaint against another, another group. And what that word means in the original language is it was just like a murmur, just like a grumbling. We've never had that in the church, have we? Just a murmuring or a grumbling over someone else. You talk about relational difficulty, it's here. It's not just Acts chapter 6, you move further on to Acts chapter 15, relational breakdown. It even happened between leaders, Paul and Barnabas, coming to this disagreement on the role that Mark was going to play. They go out on this journey, and Mark goes back early, and Paul's like, no, he, you know, we're not taking him with us again. He left us earlier. Barnabas is, has a different thought. And so they parted ways. You're right, the church does have many of the same struggles that all other communities of people have. We just do. But that in and of itself doesn't mean the gospel is not true. That in and of itself does not mean that real biblical community is not worth pursuing. It just means that we're broken people. That's just who we are. And what holds us together as community, listen, it's not whether or not Paul and Barnabas are getting along all the time. It's not that. It's not whether one group of, of widows is being served and another one is not. It's not even whether or not Ananias and Sapphira are being honest what keeps us together and what makes us very unique is Jesus' presence manifest in his people, the church, indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, and that's what holds us together. That's what makes us unique. And that's the church that Acts presents, and that's what we need. And we don't just need one another on our best day. Now, another way that the church is distinctly unique and different is that in the church, the numbers and the names matter for all the right reasons. I don't know about you, but maybe you've, you've been in places where you felt like a number before. Maybe you've been to a church where you felt like a number. I remember my very first ministry in a very, very small town, small congregation. And I remember one of my first Sundays walking into the back of the church. Literally, there was no lobby. It was just like you open the back doors and here you are, right? And there's like 75 people. I remember walking into the back doors of that church, walking into the sanctuary one day, and I realized that there was an older man in the back, sort of behind everyone, and I knew that he was doing something. I just didn't know what. He was standing there. It was like he was concentrating, but he wasn't talking to anyone else. And a couple Sundays went by, and finally I walked over toward his, uh, Cleo Allen, that was his name. I walked over toward Cleo Allen, and I noticed that, like, he had, like, this thumb twitch. Like, what is going on over there with Cleo? And then I realized he had this mechanical device that it was a counter. 
And that's what he was doing each and every Sunday. He was counting the numbers of the people in the church. I thought, why don't we just get a turnstile? That would be a far less threatening than the old guy kind of with the thumb twitch over here counting everyone. But I appreciated that, man. He just took pride in that. It was such a, such a cool thing to see. I'm not sure if you've ever felt like a number before. Maybe you felt like that here. But in the book of Acts, as the early church begins, you cannot get away from it. The numbers did matter. They, they did matter. They're just recorded over and over and over again. You look at Acts chapter 1, verse 15. There's 120 people that are followers of Jesus. You go a little bit further, Acts chapter 2, verse 41. There's now 3,000 people, Acts 2, 47. Many people are being added daily, Acts 4, 4. There's now 5,000 people. Acts chapter 6, verse 1, the number continues to multiply. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, the people are scattered. And the church continued to multiply and grow as a result. Acts chapter 11, verse 24, a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Acts chapter 11, verse 24, a great number of people were uh, uh, turned to the Lord in verse 21. Acts 14, 1, a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. Acts chapter 14, verse 21, large numbers, numbers of disciple, disciples were one. Acts chapter 15, verse 5, the church strengthened and grew daily in numbers. And the numbers were not everything, and it was clearly the work of God, but there was a reason why they were included. Now, what do we do with the numbers in the church. Like, on the surface level, yeah, every number represents a person. Every person represents a soul. Every soul matters to God. So numbers matter. But when we get a little bit deeper than that, oftentimes in the church, we just don't know what to do. What do we do when numbers increase? What do we do when numbers decrease? What do we do when numbers stay the same or they're somewhere in the middle? Typically, we approach this with two uh, I would say unhelpful views, two unhelpful ways. One, we take too much pride in it, or two, we act like they don't matter at all. And whenever it comes to pride, we might use the numbers in the book of Acts as a model. Like we know in the book of Acts that the numbers just continue to grow, and wow, we went from 120 to 3,000 people, and surely something had to happen there, and we want the same thing to happen, and we're going to put some strategies in place to go from 120 to 3,000, and it's always onward and upward, and it's always fun and growing, and come to my church, come to like... Be a part of what we're doing here. Bring your friends. Bring all your friends. Bring your family. Bring everybody. Be positively encouraged. This place is awesome. God is doing, it's never something small. God is always doing what? Something big. God's doing something big. We're growing in this place. We're creating like this numeric explosion all the while forgetting what caused that in the early church was intense levels of difficulty and persecution and scattering. That's what caused the church to grow. And when I hear people talk that way about the church, when I think that way about the church, I have to ask myself the question, do you even need God to do that? You just kind of figure that out on your own. That's called pride. Another way that we view it is just like numbers really don't matter at all. You know, hey, we're not about numbers. That's not us. Only God knows. We're just going to, like, we don't keep track of those things. As a matter of fact, the church is really struggling right now, and culture's against us, and we're going into exile, and this is what's happening, and everything is just sort of this doomsday. We're just staying faithful. We're just preaching the word. We're trusting God to bless, and I believe all those things. I do trust God to bless. I do think we need to continue to preach the word, 
and we need to be faithful. But when that goes unchecked, it can lead to other strange thoughts and strange forms of pride, even. You know, we're not looking to grow. We're not, we're not into fun. We're not, we're not into attracting. We're deep. That's what we are. You know the kingdom of God, Drew, don't you know when the kingdom of God is preached and Jesus was preaching and the crowds were huge and then the, the cost continued to go up to following Jesus, the numbers went down. That is true. That happened. Yet it's also simultaneously true when you read the book of Acts and the gospel is preached and this was in a hostile culture. Not like our culture today, but we were beginning to see shades of it, I think for sure. And the call to discipleship was high and repentance was genuine and real, the numbers continued to skyrocket and the church multiplied. It was far more than just we're going to hunker down and we're going to hope. Like, what do we do with numbers when they increase, when they decrease? What's the right attitude toward that? What's, what's the right attitude toward that in our church when numbers increase or when they decrease? Typically here, we follow the school year schedule. Like when Oklahoma State comes back, our attendance, usually about mid-August, it just sort of skyrockets and it goes really, really high. And then you can almost mark it just like a book. It get two or three weeks in, everyone sort of kind of figures out where they're going to go to church or not, and then we kind of like go back to about like the normal. And the same thing actually this year happened. Attendance skyrocketed, and then it came down, and it just didn't come down that much. And across the board, like ministry areas, Things are just full. I was talking to Kim the other day, and she was talking about how in the early childhood ministry, they had 22-year-olds in one room. Not 22-year-old volunteers, but 22-year-olds in a room. And it was a lot, and it's full. And God just continues like, to do this. Like, what's our attitude towards that? Do we act like, hey, we're going to crack the code. It's always going to be onward and upward. Like, we have some responsibility. Like, yeah, we, we agree with that. We do. But we know that it's not always like that. Like, in some sense, we need to just let that be what it is. That for whatever reason, due to the faithfulness of God, due to the working of the Holy Spirit of God in the lives of people right now, we see more and more people that want to connect to our church Everybody down in front here, I thought we were going to have more people up front than actually sitting out there. Man, that's nothing but good news. And I hope that's happening in every church in our town. And in Acts, the numbers matter ultimately because the names always matter. You know about the ministry of Paul and the missionary journeys. You know about Peter and the early chapters of Acts. But most of those names in Acts are just normal, everyday people empowered by the Holy Spirit of God and supernaturally sent out by the power of God on mission. Not only are we brought together and called out in community, God sends us out on mission. The names matter. You go to Acts chapter 6, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, Nicholas, and Stephen, while the church leaders wanted to focus on the word of God in prayer, it were these leaders, it was the deacons, these men and women that took care of many of the tasks of the church and their work was critical to the mission. Acts chapter 9, verse 33, a man, you've probably never heard his name, maybe you've heard it before and you've forgotten it, Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, sick, 
healed by Peter. And it was because of his testimony that it says in Acts chapter 9, verse uh, 33, that many people turned to the Lord. Acts chapter 9, verse 36, a woman by the name of Tabitha, or Dorcas, you may know her as, a woman as, that was a disciple in Joppa. Most people don't know much about her. We don't know a whole lot about her. Not much was written, but it does say that she was always doing good in helping the poor, and because a miracle was done in her life, it says in verse 36, many people believed in the Lord. Acts chapter 18, verse 8, synagogue ruler named Crispus, his life was changed by the gospel, and in turn, the rest of his family. Acts chapter 18, a woman by the name of Phoebe, a woman that Paul committed to the church of Rome. Many people think that she's the one that delivered Paul's letter to the Romans to, to the church. And without her, clearly God would have figured out a different way. But her role was critical. The numbers matter because the names matter. The numbers matter always because the names matter. And so we're this community called together to follow Jesus and then sent out on mission. And that's what the rest of the book of Acts continues to tell the story. It starts in the beginning. The gospel would go to the ends of the earth, Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. As Paul preaches the gospel, finally it reaches Asia and Greece. Acts chapter 13, verse 49 records this. It says, the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. As it reaches Ephesus, Acts chapter 19, verse 20. It says, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. When it reaches Rome, and Paul is in prison. It simply records this, that he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus. The mission continued, and the mission continues as the church is sent out. Uh, today we have uh, just the opportunity to meet and talk with a man named Sam Martin. And Sam, along with his wife Rachel and family, live in Japan and they are some of our supported missionaries, and just wanted to have him come and share with us just a little bit about his stories. We talk about the Holy Spirit and what the Spirit is doing as the church is sent out, and uh, sometimes we read that as it's just a story. We, we hear about this. We read about this in Scripture. We don't really just see it now, Right? And so uh, this is why Sam, one of our own that grew up here in Stillwater, we've asked him to just come and share a little bit about a little bit about your story and then what God is doing in and through your family in Japan. Yeah, thank you guys. It's so good to worship with this church here this morning, and good to see all familiar faces that I've uh, that I've remembered as a child, and some new faces that I've got to meet uh, here this morning. Uh, I grew up on a large ranch out east of Stillwater uh, with my family and moved to Stillwater when I was probably nine or ten years old and started coming to church here as well as went to Sunnybrook Christian Church that was in this building back then uh, when I was at age. The school. The Sunnybrook school. Christian School. Or school, yeah, the school yeah. Uh, when I was, uh, when I was uh, in fourth grade when it first started. Yeah. So. And I've just been so thankful for what this church has uh, been for me in my walk with Jesus through uh, my friends and my friends' families, through the youth group, through the discipleship group leaders, uh, and what this church continues to do for me and my family today, as you guys are in prayer for Mustard Seed Network uh, and for my family. I went to Joplin, Missouri to go to university. I started attending a church there called Christ Church of Ornogo, and I met my wife there, Rachel, and uh, we've been married for almost 13 years now. Uh, we have three kids. Uh, we had three kids before we left for Japan, and we've adopted one since we've been there. Uh, we decided to be cross-cultural 
missionaries while we were in college. We both went to school to be teachers, um, but we just started to hear about and to see what God had been doing around the world, uh, doing outside of Stillwater, outside of Joplin, and outside of our local congregations. And we started meeting people from around the world. People lived in our homes many, many times. And, and when God begins to bring an awareness to what he's doing in other places, it begins to build a compassion for those other places. And we started learning about mustard seed. We supported a missionary named Ethan and Audrey Greer. Uh, he's the younger brother of Jay Greer, who this church supports. And uh, I read their newsletters every, every month and read about their prayer requests and was praying for them regularly. And whenever I started praying for something, I think God be begins to work on your own heart for that. And we began to see a need for more missionaries to go over there. And so we went in 2019, uh, went to Kyoto to learn language, and then planted a church in Sendai, Japan. And just in the last four months, I've moved, moved to Yokohama and, to become the lead church planner of a brand new church starting early next year. Okay, so you have your, all your families there. You started off, you, you moved from southwest Missouri. That's right. Which is basically Oklahoma, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, just pretty much. A little few Kansas, more hills. A few more Kansas, hills. Little Arkansas. Yeah. So you end up, you're on staff at a church there. You get married. Um, you go to Japan. You're at a church in Sendai. And now um, you've, you're planting this church in Yokohama. So That's right. it's a long way from a ranch in Stillwater to Yokohama, Japan. Like, so um, anything that we can be praying for at the end of the service, we're going to be praying for you and your family and their ministry and your ministry there. Anything just in specific we yeah. can continue to pray for? And, and I just want to say, just as I, as I was thinking about going overseas and going from a ranch in Stillwater to, uh, to Yokohama, I really had to think through, you know, four really big questions. And a lot of you guys have probably thought through similar questions of, of you guys have been following Jesus in your journey. And uh, one of those was, is what I'm about to do biblical? I want to follow the word of God and what I'm doing. And church planning and uh, discipling and becoming a pastor fits that, yeah. which is good. So I was good there. <laughs> and then I really wanted to see, is there a need that needed to be met? And can I help meet that need? And with Japan being one of the second largest unreached people groups in the world, um, there's a huge need there and continues to be a need for more gospel workers. And then did I have a desire for that? Did my, did my family, could I leave, leave where it was comfortable and nice and uh, I understood the language to go overseas? Was, and did I have that desire to do that? And then last, were other people confirming that? Um, my church, uh, my family, and my pastor, were they confirming that that I would be able to go over there and meet help that need? And I think all those are really important. And as I thought through that, um, that really helped lead me towards that. Um, and then for prayer requests for our church right now, uh, we are hoping to start planting in February of 2024. Uh, we are currently looking for a space to meet in, a space to rent. Um, it can be very difficult as a religious organization that is run by foreigners. And that can be very difficult to find a place that's willing to accept us. And, uh, they ask questions like, you guys want to do what with a bathtub? And you want to <laughs> dunk people in it? And, yeah. and then you guys are going to have this little snack? Uh, <laughs> what is that? And so they're asking those questions. And we have to tell them, yeah, we're really weird and religious, we know. But please let us meet in this space. So that's really a big prayer request, is that we can find a space that's affordable and accessible for as many people as possible. Um, and then personally, uh, we just adopted our fourth child. And uh, my wife and her actually couldn't come on this trip with us. 
uh, because she can't leave the country yet because she's not fully adopted. So just be praying for that process. And there's uh, uh, some medical needs that we are trying to help her with as well uh, that we're just trying to figure out. And we're trying to talk to doctors in a different language that we're still working on. So just be praying for that. It's, it's uh, been really great. We've loved, loved the adoption process, but it's just been tough as well. So okay. Those are some big ones. Awesome. We'll bring you and Gina back up here at the end of the service and pray for you. And just an observation, guys, if you ever wonder... Is God going to do something with my middle schooler? If you, have a, if you have a middle school student, will God potentially ever do something with my middle schooler? The answer is yes, we do believe that. So thank we you. just thank God for all that he's doing in it through you, Sam. Thanks, man. Okay. Now we have to, to realize that what does ultimately bring us together and uh, make us a distinctly different community than anyone else, which we just talked about earlier. And what Sam referred to as is we have this strange meal together. We eat a a strange snack that no one else does. Um, As we come together weekly, and what really motivates us to do what we do, to go where we go. What causes us to worship is what the center of us really is, as followers of Jesus. And that's the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And we believe that it is just so important each and every week that we come together and remember, celebrate, and take part in this, in this supper remembering the death of Jesus. So as we take this bread, let us remember the body of Jesus crucified for us and the blood of Jesus spilled on our behalf. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the message of the gospel that is true, that it's real, and it's worthy of our time in our attention, whether it's in our workplaces today or going far away, God, you are just supremely worth it. God, might we give you honor and thanks and glory as we remember your death. God, we love you in your name.